All right. Good morning, everybody. Uh, thanks for gathering here with us here in-house and also online. We're glad you guys are with us. I want to jump right in because I've, um, I've got a lot to say. I'm going to try to condense it down and, and uh, keep it clear and concise. Um, but it's, it's really it's, it's an important message, something I've been thinking about for a long time and how to do it well. And so I want to go after that today. But we've been doing a series called Covenant and Kingdom. This is part of that series. Um, this is going to be talking about... Um, the relationship side of things. We talked about how um, the covenant is all about relationship and how it's connected with the Lord. Covenant equals relationship. And then we talked about kingdom and how kingdom is all about representing God. So it's a combination of both of those things that we as believers walk in. We walk in the covenant and the kingdom. And that, that kind of strand of DNA, if you will, goes throughout the entire, entire scripture. Every place you, in the Bible you can find it. You see covenant and kingdom. We talked about um, Abraham, we talked about Moses, we talked about all kinds of different characters in the Bible. I um, want to talk a little bit today about the church and about what that looks like. We're kind of getting ready for our um, small groups as we kind of get ready to launch small groups. And, you know, we've, we've been doing that for quite a while. Most churches do some kind of group, whether it's community groups, you call them different things. But we're getting ready to launch that. We'll be sending you information about that pretty soon. But just want to kind of talk about the, some of the pra- practical aspects of how that works, how kingdom and covenant work in relationship with you and I as believers. So I've taught into this before, this concept, this triangle of up, in, and out. And so, you know, Jesus had a a three-dimensional ministry. You follow him in the New Testament. He always had a ministry up toward the Father and his ministry in the Holy Spirit and what what the Spirit of God was showing him and how he'd walk that way. And then you also saw the in aspect of it, Jesus' ministry to the disciples and back and forth with one another and uh, spending time with them and, and praying with them and that kind of thing. And then you saw the, together the disciples in a group, not singly, not individually, but always together, always in relationship, went out to the world to reach and to represent Jesus, to represent God in, in spirit and in power and authority. Um, they would heal the sick. They would raise the dead, and the Bible says that we're supposed to do those kinds of things too. And I know that kind of freaks us out if we've never seen anything like that. Um, it has a tendency to, to freak us out because some of us have been taught that all those kind of things stopped at the, you know, at the end of the church age, if you will. Um, but good news, <laughs> it kept going. And I have experienced that. We've experienced that here at DCF, the supernatural, the signs and the wonders. And really what we're talking about is the kingdom being demonstrated in the earth. There's this beautiful passage where Jesus talks about, um, they're talking about, he's talking about forgiving someone's sins, and and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the lawyers are trying to catch him, and they said, you know, basically, who are you to forgive sin um, in the earth? And so he says this, so that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sin. He turns to the sick person, he says, get up and walk, right? And they got up and walked. (laughs) <laughs> you know, it's like, that's a boom, right? <laughs> There's no, how do you get past that, right? You, you don't argue with that. And that's kind of the point of the demonstration of the kingdom. It's not always in power. It is, you know, it's always in power technically, but sometimes that, sometimes that power is through love. Sometimes that power is demonstration of forgiveness. There's lots of different ways the power of God and the authority of God is represented in the kingdom. But one of those ways is the supernatural. And so part of that is we have to, as the body, there has to be something different about us than, than the world. You know, the up, in, and out perspective, I want to focus a little bit about, about the in. And if the in is not healthy, right, if you notice in, the, in the, the, the diagram I gave you, you know, there's up, it comes down in, into the in, and then out to the, to, I mean, out to the out, right? <laughs> so Father and, and Spirit and Jesus and then his church, right, him operating in us. And then, of course, 
through us. And if the in is unhealthy, then everything that God is wanting to do through the out, or at least most everything is he wants to do because it's the way he's chosen to do it, is limited. And so often the, the world doesn't see who God is, not because God doesn't want them to, but because the world isn't seeing the church in all of its glory. And you and I are the church. We're not, we're not, this is not coming to church. You don't go to church. The church goes to a meeting, and those are different things. So we talked about that again, um, just this, this concept of representing the kingdom. So this is a practical way that we do that. So there's this really fascinating scripture, intriguing scripture in Hebrews um, chapter 10. I'm just going to read it. It's 23 through 25. So let me kind of preface it with this. If you haven't been attending church because of COVID in the last couple of years, uh, or last year, welcome to the club. Most of us had to miss at some point. I mean, I'm the pastor, and there was a couple of months that I missed because I actually had COVID and couldn't come here. And we did everything online, so thanks to our team and our ministry team and leadership team for, you know, taking over and doing that. That's part of what the end is. You know, it's when everybody else is um, bringing their strength that's really helpful. But uh, I want to be careful not to judge you, and I don't want you to hear judgment coming. If you hear judgment coming, I want to I challenge you that that may be your own filter and not what I'm trying to say, because I'm doing everything I can. I've prayed into this. I've thought about this in so many ways, how not to bring judgment to the, to the bride of Christ, because it's the last thing that Jesus wants to do to his bride is bring judgment on him. Conviction, right? It's a whole different story. The challenge, he was always bringing, bringing challenge along with invitation. That invitation would be more like the relationship type stuff. And then the challenge would be often the kingdom stuff. It's like, hey, come on now. It's time to represent. It's time to get out there and do what you got to do. So, you know, put your big boy pants on and let's go do, do the kingdom, right? And so this is a scripture, again, that can be a little bit challenging, but hopefully we'll, we'll talk that through. So this says, uh, verse 23 says, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. It's a beautiful passage. For he who promised is faithful. Like the reason you can hold unswervingly is not because of circumstances, but because the one who promised it is faithful. It says, And let us consider how we may spur one another, or another version says provoke, which is a very interesting word, how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. So again, it can be a little bit challenging. It can come across, you know, first of all, why am I talking to you? You're in church. Right? Why am I telling you about this? You're in church. And part of this is because you are the church, I want to tell you why this is so important. So the big question is, why is it so important that we as a body gather? Why do we do that? And so just a little bit of context around the scripture before we get into that. Um, again, I talked about this, that you are the church. And, and the Bible says where two or more gathered in his name, he, he comes and he's in the midst. So there's a way that God operates when two or more of us together that is different than when you're, when you're alone, right? So the Bible's clear about that. So the church is literally, it's what we are called, is, it's the called out ones. We come out from among them and we're separate, right? And then God separates us, he makes us whole, he heals us, he brings us into maturity, and then he sends us back out into the world to rescue those who are broken and hurting. That's the picture of the church. So the church gathers, right? You don't go to church. You don't go to small group, even though you do. (laughs) You are going to be the church together. 
That's what we're doing when we're gathering. So the, so the church gathers in meetings, Sundays, small groups. The church can be at dinner. The church can be at coffee. The church can be, you know, standing in Walmart because you ran into somebody in the aisle and you start talking, you start praying, you start connecting. You, some, you, it, it's amazing how often that turns into ministry towards someone who's listening, right, to what's going on. So it's incredible how that works. But believers are assembling together for worship, prayer, the study of God's Word, fellowship, ministry, witnessing. We, we kind of all know this. But why do we attend church the, we do, the way we do? So the context, again, is why were some people not coming to church, right? They were the church, but they weren't gathering together. Why was that happening? So first of all, let's talk about the frequency of church. How often should you go to church? The polls right now, um, you know, a lot of the, the data is saying that a lot of people now are, are going to church, if they're going to church, maybe once a month, right? And they consider that, you know, that's pretty, that's pretty uh, that's serious. I'm serious about Jesus if I'm going once a month, right? <laughs> I go a little bit more often, but I do work here, so I have to show up. So it's, that's one thing. But I, I would come here, just so you know, I would come to DCF if I wasn't leading the church. And that's a very good test, actually, for a pastor. Would you go to the church you're leading if you weren't leading the church you're leading? It's a good, good, good test. So here's the thing. How often should you go? Well, here's the way they met in the early days. They met weekly. Well, why did they meet at least weekly. And the Bible talks about at some point when God was moving amongst their, their midst, they were literally meeting daily in the temple. So I remember, I don't know if you guys grew up in church. I grew up in church and you go Sunday morning. You go, I didn't grow up in church, but when I got in church, I got Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, um, and then, you know, whatever meetings we had during the rest of the week. And so a lot of that, it, it just took up a lot of our time. But it wasn't always the church being the church, right? Sometimes the church is just kind of getting in the way of what God is trying to do, so we want to be careful of that. But just let me give you some kind of background. Here's Luke 4.16. It says, he came to Nazareth. This is talking about the way Jesus did it. He came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, in other words, he had a habit of going to the synagogue on a, on a weekly basis. He went into the synagogue and the, on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And then the the Paul and his team, you see this in Acts 13, 14. It says, but when they, which is Paul and his company, departed from, Prag- from Perga, they came to Antioch and Pisidia, and they went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and they sat down. Now, Hebrews never says why they weren't going to church, but there's a couple of reasons it could possibly be happening. Um, you know, with the Hebrews passage, this context goes after um, the day is rapidly approaching, and that we know is that's the day of judgment. That's the you know that's the day when everything is wrapped up. And so, in other words, there's an end to all of this, and we can get caught up in the world. This is what we often do. So, so many times we get caught up in the world and the distraction of the world, thinking that this is permanent. When how many of you guys know this is anything but permanent, right? So it passes very quickly, and if you're, not, if you're not ready for that, it's going to traumatize you pretty fast. So the day approaching is the day of judgment, and, and he's talking about encouraging one another because there's an accounting. In other words, it matters that you do this because there, there's a mission. There's something that God has in mind. There's a plan that God has in mind, and the church is a big part of that. So he says, let us consider one another. It literally means to be attentive, continuous care. And then it says this, to spur or provoke one another to good deeds. Now this is interesting. I want to show you a picture. This is a Roman spur. So when they wrote this, when he wrote this passage, the author of Hebrews wrote this passage, this is what they were thinking of when he wrote this passage. Now this is the only time that this passage or this word appears this way in the Bible. The only time. The other times that this word actually appears, it's negative. So we're good reason, right? You spur someone, and what does that look like? Can you imagine being the horse with that? I mean, we, you see the cowboy spurs, and they're a little kinder, right? They're at least not going to dig. These things would 
get into you. And that was kind of the point. So here's a way to understand this word. When he was saying, I want to provoke, I want, when you guys gather together, whether it's a Sunday morning or it's Wednesday night, if that's what you do, or small groups or, you know, coffee, whatever it looks like, that you're to spur one another on to, to good works, to good deeds. In other words, there's a mission, there's a plan of God. And when you come together, part of what you do is you challenge one another in a big way. Do you love one another too? Of course. Invitation and challenge always come in intention. But to give you some idea of what that word really means, let me tell you some of the words that are opposite that word in the Bible. The opposite of spur or provoke would be to appease, to calm, <laughs> right? Pacify, to soothe, to placate, to please, discourage, or prevent. So this was a really, really strong word. And again, the reason he used this word, this spur, was for them to capture the reason, one of the reasons why they gather together. So let me just say this before we go any further. If you go to church and somebody rubs you the wrong way, you've been spurred. Right? So sometimes that's because they're immature, let's be honest, and they spur you because they're not, they shouldn't be, but they do, right? And you have to work through that as a mature believer. You have to work through somebody spurring you. They're spurring you to good deeds, even though you don't want to give them good de- deeds, you want to smack them. Anybody else know what I'm talking about, right? So you feel this in driving, like nobody's a Christian but you when you're driving, you know what I'm talking about? And even then, sometimes you're not even a Christian, let's be honest. So, so what does that look like? The whole point was, if when you come in, what should be happening is mature. What, do, what, what does the Bible say it should look like? There's a picture, this beautiful word picture, that iron would sharpen iron. In other words, that when, when mature believers would come together, this is an Old Testament verse, but this is a picture, that, that it was hard and tough metal, and hard and tough metal, and when they would go together, they would sharpen one another, and sparks would fly. My wife and I do this fairly often. We spur one another on, and we challenge one another, and sometimes we're immature to one another, but for the most part, what we've learned to do is when we're doing the spur thing, one, we're not driving it in them to destroy them. We're not harming, we're not, we're not trying to hurt them. We're, we're trying to challenge them, and so it's no fun. Let's be honest. It's no fun when someone is honest with you sometimes, is it? And here's the thing, this is why, listen, this is why this is so powerful, and, and, and I, you can probably feel it, I know I feel it right now, it feels like a spur right now, because it is, this is part of the, what the church does, but it's a challenge to say that too often what we do as believers is we get ticked off at church, and we leave and we go to another church. Well, that's, that must be nice for you, but let me tell you what that looks like practically. What that looks like is whether you shouldn't have left unless Jesus tells you to leave that local church. Let me just be clear about that, right? Unless there's gross sin, and then that's, you know, those are the easy ones, of course. But why should you leave a church? There's lots of reasons, but the primary reason is God saying, hey, I don't want you to speak into that church any longer. I want to release you and go and, and let you go somewhere else. But can I just tell you that it, this? It's not about your pleasure or your comfort. <laughs> We had, we had friends and, and leaders here at DCF that were here, uh, the Stricklands were here for, you know, 30, 40 years, long, long time. Some of you guys have been here that long. What would happen is they would pray and they would say it, was, it would be challenging at times. They'd say, Lord, can we leave? And the Lord would say, no, you can't. And then it got good, right? It started working really well and God was moving. It was beautiful. And, you know, and maturity is coming to the church and things are happening. It's really great. And they're excited. And it's like a joyous place to be. And then the Lord says, now I want you to leave. <laughs> 
And I'm like, that seems unfair, right? But it wasn't because what was God doing? God was keeping their maturity and their love for the bride and their love for the body and their willingness to be spurred and to spur and keeping that here, right, so that it's more beneficial to you and to them. That's a picture of what God was doing through these, this couple, right? And then what does that look like when he says, hey, I want you to leave now? I don't, he didn't want them to leave because they couldn't help us anymore. He wanted them to leave because what God had done inside of them, he wants, them, he wants to take that to somewhere else. And that's part of the whole up, in, and out thing. God does that sometimes. So it's okay to leave a church sometimes. It's okay to launch. But how often do we launch in a positive way and how often have we left in a negative way? So I just want to challenge you. This is what commitment looks like. This is what we've lost in understanding marriage. Like, I, I meet people, and they're like, I'm like, so you're getting married. They're like, yeah. I'm like, so, is it, you know, you're kind of older. Is this, is this the first time you've been married? Oh, no, no, four or five times now. I, I just literally want to right there, I know this is wrong, but I just want to open my phone to a dictionary and, you know, this is the definition of marriage. I don't think you know what this word means, right? And, and again, I know things go south. My point is, is so often it's easier to bail than to grow, Right? It's just easier to leave. It's easier to walk away than to deal with your stuff. And so God is all about you dealing with your stuff. Why? Because at the end of dealing with your stuff, there is an inheritance available to you. And it's beautiful, and it's way better than the, the, the small little bit of pain. Paul talks about this mild pain that you feel is such a greater um, weight of glory that awaits you if you can get through the stuff. So why aren't you gathering? There's, there's a famous uh, minister, his name is William Barclay. He was a um, Scottish author and Church of uh, Scotland minister. He was a professor of divinity at Bibli- and uh, biblical criticism at the University of Glasgow. Um, lived like in the 50s and 60s and he had a television show, whole nine yards. Anyway, he wrote a bunch of commentaries on the New Testament. And he's famous for this quote, I bet you heard it. He said, there are two great days in a person's life, the day we are born and the day we discover why. Isn't that beautiful? It's just such a beautiful, profound thing. So this is this guy, and so he wrote a commentary on this verse. And this is, these are some of the things he said. He said, there are basically three reasons why someone would not worship with other Christian believers. The first one, he said, is conceit. He says, frankly, he may believe and state that he does not need the church. Imagine that, right? That he's intellectually beyond the standard of preaching there. Social snobbery may be bad, but spiritual and intellectual snobbery is worse, he said. <laughs> right? He says it this way, he says, if any man feels that he can do so, in other words, be without the church, let him do it, but remember that he comes to church not only to get, but also to give. See, the picture is, if, you're just, if you are just worried about how it makes you feel, and do I like the style of music, and do I like this, and every little thing just kind of sets you off, that's probably not the church's issue, that's probably yours. And so I would just challenge you to say, hey, am, am I being a little bit snobbish? Am I being a little bit too picky? Because that's the second reason. He said, maybe you're fa- uh, fastidious. I didn't even know what that word meant. I'm not, I thought it was something to do with racing cars. It was not. And he's talking about how it's super picky, right? You're, you're, you're so picky that you, you kind of are above the common people. You're above the fray. You, you know, you make fun and secretly you mock things in the church. You mock the way church is done. Look, don't get me wrong. Some of the stuff the church has done is worth mocking, okay? I understand that the church can be really challenging, but the whole reason that you're frustrated in a church is because there's something that you can actually do to bring it to wholeness and bring it to maturity. That's why you're there. 
But if, it, if it's just easier to walk away, then that's what we do. He says he may dislike the common people. He may shrink from contact with people who are not like himself. That's the big lie, right? The big lie is, I'm unique, right? The church doesn't understand me. Uh, maybe, but probably not, right? <laughs> There's a famous meme online about, about girls, young girls. It's like, I'm not like other girls. Yes, you are. All girls are alike. Within reason. <laughs> I knew some some of some of you guys I knew that was gonna that was gonna <laughs> within reason. But there's enough similarities, right? The challenge is we think, oh, I'm unique, I'm different. These things don't apply to me, but they do. So the third reason he 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 put out there, and this is one I think that's the most pertinent to us right now. He says he may not go to church because of fear. Now, what he meant in this passage, because he, you know, he had not seen what we've seen this last year, in at least in this sense. Um, he was talking about the fear of man. So he's talking about being ashamed to show his loyalty by being seen going to church. In other words, I don't really want to congregate and be connected and, and identify with God's people, right? You see this sometimes. Uh, I've shared this story many times about the, um, my friend who was on a, he was on a, a, a Learjet, and he was pitching um, something to his, his, this uh, billionaire, and, and he had 400 employees at the time. And he said they were talking, and this guy started mocking Christians who spoke in tongues. Now, my friend that I'm talking about happens to have a Ph.D., so he's not exactly a dummy, right? But he went to this guy, and he sat down, and he said, I knew in this moment I have to make a decision. He said, if I, if I press this, there's a good chance not only will I not receive the, you know, the investment that I need, but it's going to affect 400 families that work in my company. So there's a lot riding on it. And he said, but I knew if I, if I don't confess Jesus in front of this man, and he said, I didn't even worry about the negative part of what Jesus said in that context. He said, I thought about, if I don't, whoever will? This guy's untouchable for the most part. Who's going to confront or challenge this guy? So he said, I made a decision to risk it all, and I did. He said, I said to him, you know, I actually speak in tongues. And he says, no, not you. And he says, yeah, let me tell you about it. And he told him his story, shared his story. And, and the, the guy did not become a believer on the Learjet. I wish he had. It would have made a much better story, right? <laughs> but that's his decision. But he, this guy did get his investment, which was great. And this other man, this billionaire, heard the gospel, maybe for the first time. So it matters. It matters about uh, not being afraid of men. This is one of the ways he put it. He said, <clears throat> he said, he may try to be a secret disciple, or you may be, try to be a secret disciple. But listen to this reasoning. It's incredible. He said, but it has been well said that to be a secret disciple is impossible. And here's why. Because either the discipleship kills the secrecy or the secrecy kills the discipleship. Isn't that powerful? Let me say that again. Either the discipleship kills the secrecy. In other words, people say this all the time. My faith is a personal matter. No, it is not. Never has been, never will be. The whole point of baptism is your faith is not personal. It's literally the point of baptism is to identify publicly with Jesus and what he's done and what he said. That's what it means to be a Christian. So why baptism is so important. The water doesn't save you. We know that, right? You go, you go down a dry center and you come up a wet center if you hadn't made a confession for Christ. Water's not going to help you. But if you have made that confession in that profession of Christ, and what happens is when you come up, now you have publicly, you've hopefully invited friends who don't know Jesus. 
But you've said, I am part and I identify with God's people. You know, do you not do that with your family? You ever feel like that when you're out with some family member? You guys know who I'm talking about. If you don't know, who, if you don't know the family member I'm talking about, the family is talking about you like this. In other words, it's like, oh, my God, here they go again, you know, right? <laughs> don't, don't encourage him. That's my favorite. Don't encourage because somebody with a big personality. Don't encourage them, you know, and, and you know because there's a little bit of edge to it that kind of embarrasses you a little bit, but you do enjoy them, right? So at some point, you have to make a decision. Am I going to own my brother or not, right? <laughs> and that's the same concept here. So here's, here's the last part of this. Why should you gather? We're talking about some reasons why you want. A fear of man is a big one. But, but think about how that works in COVID, in our COVID reality, you know, whatever that means. Are there reasons for you not going to church because of COVID? Of course there are. We, all of us, when this all began to happen, we're all working this out. We're trying to hold this intention and say, okay, God, what are the requirements you're asking of me and what are the risks that I'm, I'm going to take as I move forward in this? And you have to hold that intention. And some people have higher risks than others because of you know, conditions, uh, uh, previous con- conditions they might have. But that's the point. That's kind of the journey that every single one of us have to take, right? But the Bible doesn't say, don't forsake the gathering of yourselves together unless there's persecution. Hence, the church in communist China, communist Russia, and on and on and on. What if they get caught? Then they die. So there's a big risk in becoming a part of that and saying yes to that. In communist China, and this happens even today, but in communist China, there were regular stories. I had friends who went over there and ministered, and they would take them. It was secret because, again, if they were discovered, they'd die. And they, they said they would be in a house, and, and, and the service, it took six hours, six to eight hours before it started because everybody had to get there separately, individually, so that they didn't raise suspicion with the secret police. He said, but there were times when they would be in a house, and he said there would be 400 people in what we consider a normal American home. And he said, and we would be worshiping, and we would literally be stacked next to each other. Like, we were like this. He said, there are times I couldn't lift my hands except like this and worship. And he said, and I would preach to these guys. And he said, and I would preach with a guy standing right here. And a guy standing here and here and here. And he said, and they would oftentimes just give me a little bit of a step so I could step up to be a little bit above them. He said, we would worship. And he said, and they would clap like this. Perfect rhythm. Some of you guys need to try this. <laughs> I'm, I'm talking about the last church I, I pastored, not you guys. They would clap like this, obviously because if they made noise, right? And he said they would just be tears rolling down their face, just intense, beautiful worship. Let me ask you this. Could they not have done that at home? Right? But there's something different where two or more of you gathered. It doesn't mean that God's not in... He's not with you when you worship. Karen, I watch Karen. Karen's a worshiper. She embarrasses me. She worships so hard. She's like, she just makes me look like an amateur at worship, right? <laughs> but, but the intensity that we have in a, in a body when God is moving among his people is even greater sometimes than the intensity we feel, when, when that intimacy we feel when we're alone. It's a really big deal. So there's many reasons why we should gather. Doxology, we, we sang that, this praise the Father, praise the Son, right? It's... it's the expression of praise to God. It's, and if you don't, what happens is you limit your ability to glorify God in worship because he, he longs to be worshipped and, and adored and he longs to release his power and his, and his love in, through that worship. Another thing is, um, let me just give you a quote. This is Martin Luther. He said this. He said, at home in my house, there's no warmth or vigor in me 
But in the church, when the multitude is gathered together, a fire is kindled in my heart and it breaks its way through. There's something different that happens there. Another thing is theology. If you don't gather together, it hampers your theology and your doctrinal understanding. This is Ephesians 3.18. Paul said, he prayed that the church in Ephesus may have power together with all the saints. Power together with all the saints to grasp and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Great theological truths are best learned corporately. That's part of what we're doing right now, right? Psychology, and this is a little bit different because it's not talking about the mind, but the development of the soul, right? And this is 3, three John 1, 2. It says, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and, in health, and be in health just as your soul prospers. So here's a thought. Part of the challenge that we've seen over the last year is that the enemy's desire was to take this sickness, this disease, this virus, this bug, whatever you want to define it as, and, and to use it to, to bring you into isolation. And then you buy into, well, I have online friends. How's that working out for you? Right? Because it's not the same thing. And so I just want to challenge you. There's a, there, again, there's a, there are reasons, and I get it, that sometimes we don't want to do this. But part of the challenge is, is that it, it affects your soul when we don't gather together. It really does. Here's the biggest part of that, really, that the virtue of love requires others for its development. Let me say that again. The virtue of love requires others for its development. Now, don't get me wrong. You can, you can love somebody. You can call them up. You can encourage them over the phone. There's lots of things you can do. But loving one another, being that spur, challenging one another to good works, building relationship, pouring into that person, it doesn't happen all uh, by yourself. So let me close with this. There's some real good reasons for not gathering. Like I said, high risk, people who genuinely should not be in the room because it's, it's a danger to them. I get it. I get it. But can we be honest? Most of the time, that's not what's going on. We get lazy. We get complacent. It's just easier. I can have church in my pajamas and watch online. <laughs> right? I like that. I thought about showing up this morning in my pajamas just to make a point. Aren't you glad I did? Right? <laughs> so I get it. And, and there's aspects of that that I totally understand. And it's wonderful. And I'm not saying if you're not in church every single Sunday that somehow you're a sinner. That is not true. It's not at all what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, is that there's a reason for us gathering together, and there are some very valid reasons for not gathering together, but they are very few if we're honest. Oftentimes what we do is we make excuses. How do I know that? Again, this may spur you a little bit, and I'm not even going to apologize. <laughs> hey, Dave, I'm so sorry we haven't been in church. Okay, why not? Well, you know COVID. You know we're standing in a restaurant right now, right? Like, like right now while you're telling me, right? You know we're in a grocery store right now, right? You know that. Like, is that not, did you miss that part? <laughs> is it oh me or oh my, right? <laughs> that one we say, not amen. Don't say amen to that. So what, what does that mean? It's, it, honestly, what happens is we begin to get complacent. But let me just kind of wrap it up with this. The issue is not even about what you bring to the church when, you know, or sorry, what you get from the church when you come. Because let's be honest, at some level of maturity, if you, if you get this, that level of maturity, you know what you get from it. But, but let's be honest, at some level of maturity, how much is this message going to minister to you? Right? You're gonna, your spirit's going to go, absolutely. But that's part of it is to say the amen to that. And then to model it, right? 
Because that's, that's something that we, I see people who are mature do. They model things. They say, I don't have to do this. It's not necessary. But I'm going to do it because it represents something. And isn't that kind of what the kingdom is? It's representing something. And so part of that is choosing to, to gather when we all come together. What we're saying is, I'm identifying with God's people. And so uh, Karen sent me this. Uh, it was a tweet from a pastor. And this is what he said I thought was awesome. He says, in the near future... The stay-at-home order will end, and we will come back together. What kind of church do we want to be when that happens? What kind of people? We're still facing major challenges, but how could we reframe this moment from anxiety to possibility? And I think those are some really, really good questions. If you've not been where you need to be, if you've missed church, if you've been lax, if you've kind of, you know, sin literally means to miss the mark. If you feel like you've missed the mark in this area, there's good news for you. Grace is sufficient, the Bible says. So in other words, you can beat yourself up if you want, but that's not what God's going to do, right? He's going to say, hey, I'm talking to you about this, not because I want to condemn you for what you've done in the past, but because I want to release you for what I'm going to do in the future through you. So I just want to encourage us, again, grace is sufficient. But here's my question to you as as we wrap this up and close. What is your plan to rejoin the church if you've not been where you should be? Restart, re-engage, recommit, regather. It's time to dream again, and it's time to see what God can do through an obedient church. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? I hope you still love me after that. Maybe as I led in worship, you had an encounter with God, and so you're happy with me for a little while, and I can balance that out. My heart for us is, again, there's a benefit for us gathering together. Um, If you're not here, we miss who you are and what you're supposed to bring. And I want to encourage every single one of you guys, if you think you don't matter, quit making your car payment. You'll matter really quick to somebody, right? (laughs) And if you think you don't matter in the kingdom, stay away from church. We feel it. Stay away from small groups. We feel it. Don't bring your strength. We're missing a grace, grace from God that is supposed to flow through you into us. So please, please, like the the writer of Hebrews, he encouraged them. He said, I want to challenge you. Don't forsake the gathering of yourselves together, even though some people are. Please don't do that because it matters greatly that you are a part of what God is doing in the earth. Thanks so much for that message. I get to have some things to woohoo about as well. So um, we're glad you're here with us today. If you would like prayer, you're in-house. You know, I think about where um, we are sometimes in the day that we live in and that there is this place of where fear and anxiety can, can grip us. But I love the scripture says that I have not given you a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and a sound mind. And so this morning, those can be very real places. If you have some of that, we'd love to pray for you. Um, If you're watching online, you can um, contact us through our website at dothancf.com. We are so glad for all of you that are with us this morning. And um, we look forward to seeing you again. We hope you have a great week. And um, join us in our prayer time this weekend. God bless you guys.